you've been on. I think uh, you get going. Good. Check, check. Does that sound pretty good? Okay. So good. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm sure we're going to get like trickling in for a lot of reasons, but uh, why, why don't we get started? We have a we have, as usual, a bunch of co to cover and an hour to do it, and it's more like 45 minutes now. So, um, uh, my name is Isaac Plodine. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, I've been asked to teach this morning. I've taught a couple other times, and this morning we're going to uh, work on the doctrine of eternity, and I'm really excited about it. Um, so hopefully I'm clear. But uh, let me pray and uh, start this with uh, asking for God's blessing. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I'm just so thankful that, um, especially this, these past couple weeks, that I have had the absolute inerrant truth to work with, God, that uh, we're not here just trying to make things up or do our best at thinking, God, but we have your perfect word that is always true, and your spirit to help us to understand it. So, God, I pray that this morning that you would help us to understand uh, what is said by your word, that you convince us of its truth, that you convict, um, Lord, that we would know that uh, even though we can't see these things, Lord, that they are as true and as real as um, as anything else, think, things that we can see and touch, God, that these are more, these are more sure than even the rising of the sun uh, in the morning. Help us to, to hear these things and receive them well, change our lives, God. I pray that you would help us to glorify you better um, by what we, what we learn um, through your word this morning. And do this for your glory and for our good, we pray. In your name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> here we go. Uh, doctrine of eternity. So uh, this is also known as kind of the doctrine of the end times. Um, but I think eternity is a better word for what we're going to go over. So hopefully you're going to agree with me as we, we go along here. Did everybody get a handout? Because um, there's a lot of scripture we're going to go through. It's not all written on there, but uh, okay, it looks like we did. But uh, this is pretty much all this is. is we're just going to go through a bunch of texts here. We have three main points to follow. And, um, and we're going to be reading a whole lot and then talking. Uh, hopefully a whole lot about that. This is a huge doctrine just like the others that we've studied. Um, and so the challenge here is to be succinct. Uh, and if, I'm, if it sounds like I'm going fast, I am. Uh, for this reason. Because there's a lot to get through. But please, as usual, don't, uh, don't hesitate to raise your hand and, and uh, speak. Um, I want a lot of interaction, as usual, on this, if we can, if we can get it. Um, so here we go. The main ideas of Doctrine of Eternity. Um, it teaches us that God's culminating purpose, in other words, this purpose that comes to a head, the climax, is to glorify his mercy and justice on a day he has fixed in the future. Sin will be completely and finally dealt with. All moral creatures will be judged. And Christians are to live in eager expectation by being faithful, God-pleasing sojourners. There's a ton there. We're going to go through it. But this is my, my shot at 
at making this doctrine a single sentence or, well, two sentences and a compound in there. Um, uh, as you can see, it's, it's a challenge. I'm going to stop saying that. Okay. Um, when you hear the words, like end times or eternity, let's start with just kind of thinking about this, this uh, naturally. What, what comes to mind? What do you... What do you think about when you hear end times or eschatology, end times, eternity? What, what just pops into your head? Wow. In unison, you guys totally <laughs> rehearsed that. <laughs> Jesus is returning. Thank you. Yes. Great. What else? That's a really good answer. But yeah, what else? What else we got here? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Return and reign. Eternity. Okay, resurrection. Yeah, resurrection of the dead. What else? Judgment. Yeah. Not a comfortable thought, but it is. It should be at the front. Anything else? Hmm. Yeah, like end times, yeah. There's going to there's gonna be something to accompany the end times, right? There's, there's going to be events that happen. Just, just curious. Does anyone think about reward? Okay, good. That's good. Well, yeah. Um, culturally, what do you think people, do people think about eternity in our culture or, or in our worldly culture, I should say? Yes. I'm, I'm glad you started there. Yeah, it, it totally is. Does anybody think about infinite at all? Any mathematicians in here? The idea of infinity and what that implies, like, these are ab very abstract concepts. They're, they're beyond our, kind of our mental capacity to, to really think about, so maybe that dissuades us from thinking about them, makes them unclear. What else culturally, yeah? Hmm. So, so, so like obscure kind of thought about, there's probably life beyond death, right? That's a general thought.
is, that's really interesting. Yeah, so death plays a huge part in that. That, that there, it's not final, in other words. You want to want to think, anybody, yeah? I'm glad you brought that up because I was just going to ask anybody know any nihilists here, which is the the uh, the belief that there's there is nothing that there's no purpose actually that things just are by complete chance and when you die you die that's it the only thing you that is real is the physical those kinds of things and so so when when you die as a nihilist which is which is the logical uh, conclusion of philosophical materialism which is what our culture broadly believes in. That all you that this is the only thing that's real. There's there's no spiritual. If you can't see it, feel it, touch it, um, if it can't be uh, witnessed by the by our senses or five senses, senses then it doesn't exist. This is all that's real. Then when you die, death is just a part of that. So end. They're not even thinking about eternity at all. Um, Carpe diem is another like philosophical construct that, that's close to this. You only live once, so why not make the best of it, right? You, okay, so we've already, we've already established, is this an easy or difficult concept? I think it's difficult. I think this is a very difficult concept. It's not an easy thing to think about eternity. And even if you are thinking about it philosophically, if you have no no form of reference, if you have no authority in your life, how are you going to get answers to this, right? I mean, you, you die, and then you die. Like, there's, you don't get to come back and say, this is what happened after I died. And furthermore, we're talking about a time in the future that hasn't even happened yet to anybody. So there just isn't a test to be given that, oh, okay, this is what it's going to be like. We have no frame of reference. We're lost. Yeah, particularly like the time frame, or is there a millennium? Those, those kinds of questions about end times, those are really like, okay, we've got three, probably three main main uh, fields there or, or predominant views, and, and Christians, you know, get really heated about those things. So we don't talk about it that much. Well, it's because the Bible's not extremely clear on the timeline or what's going to happen after or a couple things. But I think... What's going to help us is the Bible is very clear about a couple points of eternity. We're going to hit those three main points today, um, this morning. But before I do, I want to throw out an antidote for you. I, I actually, this is, I don't do this a lot, but I, it seemed to match so well. I had a math teacher back in high school, um, and uh, I can't even remember his name, but I remember what he looked like. And 
he would harp on us about saving $50 a week from the age of 18 or whatever we were up to the day of retirement into a 401k and how much money that was going to give you. Uh, and do the math, it's like, it's between, you know, 400 and $2 million, okay? <clears throat> it's real. Like, yeah, okay, thanks, thanks, buddy. Like, uh, and, and he, he would just talk over and over. We'd do our math lesson, and then, he'd, and then he'd, you know, get back to this idea of, like, he's, he's showing us compound interest and that kind of stuff, which is all very helpful, actually, um, for saving money. But the irony of the situation, was, and he, you know, he, he basically said uh, he was trying to do this himself, that was later in life, so he was trying to catch up because he wanted to retire, and this is going to be so great. The irony was he died a year after. And what, like, what do you think the students said about him? What good, like, what good was it? Like, the irony of that. You're living your life for this one, one thing, right? He was, he, I mean, he was adamant about this, this and, then, and then he dies. And that whole experiment just falls apart at that point. Because everybody in the class is like, what good is it? So what? Like, you saved all this money, who's going to spend it now? Kind of thing. Like, okay, these are, these are pretty good lessons. We're going to learn another lesson in scripture that is very similar to that one. Um, but but that's, that's the whole idea. This is a lifelong experiment. Um, that's what makes it so hard. We're talking about things that we don't know for sure. Like we, we don't know they're going to happen in a way that we can know that this is made out of metal. Or that uh, I, am, I am, you know, breathing right now. These are going to be convictions. Um, one of my favorite analogies was actually put together by Bill Farley. Um, I'm sure he didn't come up with it, but he, he did administer it a, a number of times when he was teaching. And that's that uh, if you were to imagine that this dot right here is the totality of all human history that we know of up to this point, <clears throat> and up to the point of the Day of Judgment is represented by this dot, then... This is a representation of eternity. It just blows the mind to think about concepts of infinity or eternity. They're just, we, we're not, this isn't even our life. We're a vapor inside of this dot. Everything beyond that, though, is reality. This is going to exist. This will be eternity. Hopefully that helps us to think about this um, more and then just blows our minds. So uh, I don't know if that's helpful. Westminster Catechism has a really good um, three-part on the doctrine of eternity. I highly recommend it for further study if you want to, and that's what this is actually going to be based out of. So let's get into it. The first point, <coughs> God has appointed a day to culminate his purpose. Uh, another way to say it is God has fixed. He has fixed a day to culminate his purpose. Um, a day has been set in the future, and it is as real, as sure as creation itself. So as real as 
the fact that creation exists, this day is set and it exists. Let's, con let's be convinced of this. Um, but the day is secret. That is part of the, the hard uh, nature of this doctrine. It is completely secret. It's going to happen like a surprise. It's going to be a surprise like a thief. And we should consider a couple examples that God has used to help us think about this. Those examples are the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, Acts 17, 30 through 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Interesting. God has, through Jesus, uh, it, it has fixed a day where, where he will judge the living and the dead. And how do you know that's going to happen? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. That is part of the resurrection testimony is the fact that this is going to happen. Okay. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, it's like these were put together. No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So, though this day is fixed, it is a mystery. It is, it is a secret. There's only one who knows one person. I don't know how that works. I think it's God too. But there's one person that knows when this is going to happen. The man who, or the one who fixed it. Who has appointed it for his purpose. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some, some longer passages here. And then we're going to talk about them. Peter 3, 1 through 10 says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring you up with uh, your stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Wow, that's a pretty good, pretty good statement, pretty good argument. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, okay, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, meaning the water and the word, the world then existed, was deluged in water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth now, uh, that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens, the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Okay, Jude 1, 5 through 7. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority 
but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under the gloomy darkness and the judgment until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Okay, lots in there. But let's focus on a couple things. One is, what, are, what is predicted to happen with, with people talking about eternity? What is, what, who are these scoffers? Like, what are they saying? Yeah. I mean, and the argument is, since it hasn't happened, it's not going to happen. Which is, I mean, that's, that's a way that humans think a lot of the time. That actually is like the scientific method. <laughs> because these things happen, they're going to happen. <laughs> that's why we can't trust science sometimes. <laughs> I'm an engineer, so I can say that. Yeah. Right? Like, which totally. <laughs> so. He's crazy. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Hundreds of, hundred years. Dude, hundred, what a commitment, man. I just, I can't believe these guys. They're, they're fully convinced. Yeah. Yeah, you're committing, man. Exactly, exactly. So, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the natural reaction, right? That's a natural thought, is why. Why would you do that? Okay. Um, the, the, uh, the scoffers in this passage also, they're not just saying that, that it's not going to happen. They're justifying their sinful desires because they don't think they're ever going to get judged. That's really important. Like, the Scripture talks about this a lot, that, that the scoffers, end times, people are storing up wrath for themselves. Like, this, this, is, this is a very, very sobering uh, point that we, we should not miss. Um, but God has, and, they, and Peter says, they forgot. God has shown them what happens twice, if not more. The flood was one of those times. And he talks about, you know, that the, the, the word and the water creating the, the, uh, the earth, that the heavens existed before that. And then by that same water and word, everybody is killed. That this has happened. And how did it happen? They were, they were dancing. They were having, you know, merrymaking. They were doing the exact same things that they'd been doing up to the day that it started raining. And then they all died. So that's, that, is, that is the warning of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing in, in, uh, that Jude talks about. Um, indulging in sexual immorality, pursuing unnatural desire, up to the day that that fire started raining down and they're all completely destroyed. The, the lesson is, just because God has not judged yet, doesn't mean that he will not judge. Okay. culminating purpose <clears throat> God's purpose is going to be seen as a climax 
on this day. God's, God's purpose is finally going to be, make perfect sense to all of us, Christian and unchristian alike, that his purpose is mercy and justice. Sin will be dealt with uh, in the judgment from Christ. Okay, so let's read a couple passages here. We talk about that idea. Romans 25, or 2, 5 through 6. But because of your hand, hard and impenitent... Oh, boy. Maybe somebody else should read. Because of your heart and impenitent heart, yeah, you are storing up for, uh, for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Okay. Uh, listen to what, what's happening here. On that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. By Christ Jesus, Ecclesiastes 12:14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And Romans 9, 22 through 23. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has also prepared beforehand for glory. Okay, so you hear those texts. I mean, does it sound like this is an accident? That this is just going to be chance that this day happens? I mean, it is very, very purposeful. God's, God's purpose is clear. And according to these texts, why hasn't it happened yet? What, what, can you flesh that out? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so God is, is glorified through a couple of things here. One of them is his patience. He's waiting. He was waiting for something. We, we hear, hear that, that that waiting is actually for his display of mercy, repentance. It doesn't mean that he does not want to show justice, though, and judgment. Here in Romans... He wants to make known his power. But he is enduring this period of, of disobedience. He's enduring uh, the stalling of judgment. His, he's patiently waiting over these, this judgment so that his display of mercy is also going to be seen. There, there's a lot there. Uh, but I got to keep going. Any comments, though, on on that? These are these are pretty pretty key um, ideas, thoughts.
Absolutely. And also just the idea in, in Peter that, uh, that God doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't feel time the same way. He doesn't experience time the same that we do, the way that we do. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day kind of thing. But we can't, he is making a concrete statement here. God is being patient. It's not as if this is, you know, it's like a blink for, for God or whatever, and it doesn't really display anything. No, he's waiting probably, probably in a different way than we even experience waiting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Indeed. Okay, so what is to follow? Um, this day is fixed by God, his purposes will be culminated in it. In other words, everything is pointing to this day. A lot's going to happen on it. Okay, what is, what's going to, to follow that day? Let's talk about the this, this second side of eternity, or, or the beginning of eternity after the judgment. Um, a couple things, resurrection and reward and punishment is what the Bible clearly teaches. So John 5, 25 through 29, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have gone, uh, who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is, this is total, comprehensive. All those who have died will be raised. That that resurrection will be for a purpose, and that will be judgment. Um, you, you hear a lot of receiving in these, in these texts, and getting, and reaping, and so that, that, that is actually what, what will fall. This day of judgment will have consequences. Those consequences will be the receipt, the fruit of our work. Well, it's part of it. That's, that's clearly taught here. We will all receive judgment and receive our due. Um, okay. Any, any thoughts there? That's kind of just a matter of fact. We can talk about... I don't think scripture really talks
talks about a, an interim judgment. Um, there is some some form of it. I mean, they talk about uh, Lazarus and the rich man, where you know one is actually reaping some reward, and the other is reaping some punishment um, in between those times. So um, it, I don't think it's it's completely absent. Um, but I think for I mean for the purposes of the day, there's there's clearly going to be full and complete judgment. At a at a fixed day, and this is going to happen kind of all at once, kind of a thing, rather than rather than extended through. There could be more, though. Extended through. That's a good. That's a good question and a good thought. And I'm not prepared for it, so I don't know. towards some, some judgment after death. Um, okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to read some really long passages now. Hopefully this isn't too, too monotonous or um, hard to follow. So I have my daughter in here, actually. Hi, Dad. A little test. Um, we're going to talk about the everlastingness of eternity afterwards and what scripture actually talks about with what will be everlasting, what will last forever. Um, Revelation 20, 10 through 15. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the prophet, false prophet were, and they were, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in, the sound, uh, in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen, chosen shall in long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. 
and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. One more. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be there with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these, are, these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, uh, the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay. Huge constructs here. What, but what comes to mind as we read through these, these passages and what, what kind of picture do we see in our head of eternity or picture? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. It is speaking as if, like, now, but it's, it's this. There's a couple phrases in here that actually resonate me with, with who I am right now. doesn't mean that it's going to be everybody for all time. But this idea that uh, in Isaiah, um, no longer shall uh, they labor in vain or build, bear children for calamity. This idea that a lot of what I do right now in this world, Ecclesiastes teaches me this, it's just vanity. I mean, it's just going to go away. It really doesn't matter in a lot of, lot of ways. It's a vapor. Here now, gone. Tomorrow, even, kind of thing. You're working for what purpose? Like, who's going to enjoy your wealth? Who's going who's to get the credit for what you did? Kind of things. Like, just this, this vain, vain um, undertone or even overtone of 
existence right now, that's going to go away. That is actually, it's, it's not just part of entropy or something that will exist forever. That's actually a, a, an effect of the, the fall, sin, you know, um, toiling, toiling. It's no longer work, it's toil kinds of things. segue that's exactly like the the segue that i was looking for here <laughs> because we're going to go on to what the, what scripture speaks about probably the most any time the day of judgment is brought up and that is what do we do now really interesting like <laughs> this is a little jab at christianity or maybe just popular christianity um of, of we always want to just apply things, right? I mean, give me, give me a scripture, and I, how do I apply that? What do I do, right? And the Bible doesn't always tell you what to do. Um, sometimes it's just telling you about God, and yeah, okay, that's, that's you know, maybe a backdoor application there. This is different. It's always telling you to do something. So let's talk about what that is. Um, this teaching always accompanied by a call to action, warning, encouragement, motivation. Like, there's always something tied to this teaching. It's hard to get away from it. Matthew 24, 42 through 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This is Jesus speaking. But know this, that if the master of the house had, had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let, him, uh, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <clears throat> but he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, uh, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. What a terrible problem. Um, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We have a couple more passages. I want to stop here and think a little bit. Jesus is saying part of, part of the aspect of the secret nature of this day is so that we will not fall asleep. So I'd like to explore that idea because I think it's kind of abstract to me. Yeah.
Absolutely. That, that is a great, because that feels like that's, okay, um, we're waiting for a ferry, right? It's going to take two hours. And we kind of know that it's going to take a long time. What are we doing during that time, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the mentality. Are you going to actually make that, that time worth, worthwhile? It's a terrible analogy. But, like, <laughs> hopefully get kind of the idea. God is, God is patient, but his patience isn't, isn't for us to, yeah, do nothing. We're not resting now. We're not waiting and setting up everything that we can to be comfortable right now. Yeah. Well, oh, you just redeemed it for me and, like, thought of things that I didn't even mean. So, like all good analogies, right? <laughs> yeah, great. Like, okay, we're, we're purposefully waiting. We're, God is purposefully patient. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that's a really good point. In, in other words, if I were to, to just tell you what you just told me, like this, this, we're not talking about legalism here. We're not talking about you better earn your, your reward. Not, not in that sense. There, there is some complexity here. We're, we are talking about deeds. But, no, this, is, this isn't a, like, not waiting isn't like, well, I better check the boxes. 
kinds of things then? No, we are looking for something different, right, as Christians. So, two things. One, let's, let's flush out this idea of what does it look like to fall asleep? What does it look like to be drunk? Because the opposite that we're called to is sober-minded. What, is what does it look like that, okay, because we're all mixed bags here, right? I've, I have definitely slipped into this mentality of just, when's this going to happen? I am probably ineffective at that time. I'm probably not doing what I should be doing. I'm probably not believing what I should be believing, right? What's, what does that look like? What, is the, what does sleep look like? What is Jesus trying to get us not to do and following Old Testament prophets? And, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Remember the, the parable of the, of the rich man here, who God calls a fool. He's a fool. God, the creator of all things, calls you a fool. That's not a good, that's not a good day. Like, why, why is he a fool? Because, I mean, from, the, from a worldly perspective, this guy, he's rich. And he just made a bunch more money, had a lot more food or whatever, right? He's, he's building barns. Like, this all looks wise to me. This looks prudent. That he's he's and he looks blessed by God as well. Looks like God has blessed this man, but indeed he has not. Like this is not necessarily the the result of God's blessing. Right, yeah, yeah, completely self-absorbed, absolutely, yeah.
Absolutely. Absolutely. So I didn't expect, as I should have, though, um, this isn't necessarily like crystal clear, right? There's some nuance here. And there, there are ditches on both sides, as usual, we can fall off into, whereas let go and let God would be one of those ditches, mis, you know, misapplied, I think. And also, like, I got to work. Legalism is the other ditch. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Those are, that's a great, great word. Um, and that is indeed what scripture teaches is here. We have the, the God calling him a fool and, and Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Luke 12, 32 through 36. Fear not little flock for it is the, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your glamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Uh, Second Peter, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness? 
and godliness. So we have, we have this, this idea that, yeah, okay, <clears throat> just because you're performing these works, does that mean that you're actually storing up treasures in heaven, rich towards God? No, absolutely not. This, this is a heart posture that we have towards these things. Um, I was hoping to spend a little more time on this, but we've run out of time. Um, I would I would encourage everybody here. Why don't we, uh, or if you if you have time, just read some of these passages, especially by by Jesus and and by Peter and Paul about uh, working towards a heavenly mindedness, um, because boy, that that seems to be the main thrust that we're supposed to get when we think about the day of eternity.